John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard, climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon Peter, sorry, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. 
But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how freely available it is to us. Forgive us when we take that for granted. And we pray now for Martin. We pray for your blessing on him and on us as he comes to bring your word to us. Amen. Great. Thanks, Alison. So, well, I look today at how Jesus transforms humble Christians. Um, when we become a Christian, we're not made perfect immediately. You don't need me to tell you that, do you? We're a work, we're a work in progress, aren't we? But we are made into a new creation. We are something new. We're somebody new. We're not the same person we were before. To use an analogy, when we become a Christian, God knocks down the old house of our lives and he starts to rebuild a brand new house on the foundation of Jesus. Um, I often mention C.S. Lewis, he's one of my um, favorite quotable authors, and in his book Mere Christianity, he says it like this, quote, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The ex explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a wing here. He's putting an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But God is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. There's a big build, isn't it? If ever there was one. So Jesus wants to do a radical new building project in you and me, a big build. Because he loves us and he wants us to grow more and more into his image until we meet with him in eternity and only then will he finish the job until then we've all got scaffolding up haven't we as it were we've all got the builders in namely the holy spirit peter uh we love peter don't we because he's a human being and uh, we can identify with peter can't we in the scriptures he needed a radical rebuild in his life didn't he he failed jesus pretty badly um, and he made some big promises, didn't he? Some big claims. He said to Jesus, even if all the others fall away, I'll never abandon you. And that same night, he denied even knowing Jesus three times around the fire, warming his hands with the others around the fire as Jesus is arrested. I never knew him. I never knew him. I never knew him, he said. And we find ourselves back at the fireside here on the beach 
the barbecue, my favorite kind of food. No wonder Peter was running towards the beach. You know, barbecued fish, can't beat it, can you? I don't think he was running for the barbecued fish, really, was he? I think he was running towards Jesus. This is a man whose life has been turned upside down. Yes, he'd failed, but Jesus welcomed him with open arms. And that's the Jesus who's with us here today. We fail Jesus, don't we? We let him down. We make all kinds of promises and we let him down. And yet Jesus stands with his arms open and says, welcome. Isn't that wonderful? That's the God we have. Jesus didn't abandon Peter even when Peter failed him. On the first Easter Sunday, do you remember Jesus was there with all the other disciples except our friend Thomas, who absented himself? But do you remember that Jesus breathed out the Holy Spirit on Peter and all the disciples? This is the Peter who denied Jesus just a few days before, breathing out the Holy Spirit on Peter. That's grace, isn't it? But there was still unfinished business between Peter and Jesus, wasn't there? Jesus wasn't going to let the denials go because Jesus loves Peter and he has a radical rebuilding project to do in Peter's life. So he doesn't leave Peter as he is. He wants to rebuild Peter, remodel Peter. And that's what Jesus has for each one of us. He doesn't leave us where we are, does he? Um, sometimes people say, you'll have to take me as I am. And I say, no, because God doesn't take you as you are. He takes you as you are in forgiving you and offering you his grace, but he wants to take you somewhere else. He wants to do a remodeling, rebuilding work in your life and make you like Jesus. And for some of us, for I think for, oh, for all of us, actually, there's unfinished business with Jesus. None of us are the finished article, are we? We've all got unfinished business. So I kind of relate to Peter. I don't know about you. Not just because I love barbecues, but because I have unfinished business, and so does Peter. But Jesus wants to transform humble people, people who realize that, that they need Jesus, people who haven't always got it together and got it right. He wants people who are willing to run towards Jesus, like Peter did, with all their failures, and be transformed. And he wants to deal with our past. Three ways, you won't be surprised, I want to look at, um, that Peter's meeting with Jesus instructs us how Jesus wants to rebuild us. First, understanding who Jesus really is will cause us to either run towards him or run away from him. All right? Once you get a grip of who Jesus really is, you are going to react to him one way or the other. If you don't really understand who he is, you, you might be apathetic and indifferent to him. But once you really grasp that he's the son of God, you're going to either run towards him like Peter or you're going to run away. You cannot be indifferent to the claims and person of the son of God. Jesus makes some people really angry because they, they, they don't want to face him. 
They don't want to face up to who he is and what that means for them. They don't want to be changed. So they wrestle and struggle against him for years sometimes before they finally cave in. Some people go, wow, and they run towards Jesus and are saved much quicker. And some people today are indifferent and apathetic. So we need to pray for those indifferent and apathetic people that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see who Jesus really is and that they run towards him, not run away. In John 21, we have a fishing trip where Peter runs towards Jesus. There's all sorts of, uh, uh, I don't want to get caught up in the commentaries, but there's all sorts of commentary discussion about is Peter... Uh, you know, put it, putting his clothes back on? Was he naked when he was in the boat or was he putting on his loincloth? There's, honestly, there's hundreds of pages written about this stuff. <laughs> Suffice to say, I think he had a... <laughs> honestly, I've been studying this this week. It's fascinating. <laughs> I think he probably put a loincloth on and then jumped into the water. That's, so the, the NIV translation isn't the best. It's probably that he had an overshirt on and then he had to put his swimming trunks on, as it were. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave that to linger in your imagination, because it's fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> Peter runs towards Jesus. Uh, if you've ever tried running through water, that takes some work, doesn't it? Yeah, it's hard work. He's, he's wanting to get to Jesus. I don't think it's just the barbecue. In Luke chapter 5, we have another fishing trip where there was also a miraculous catch of fish brought about by Jesus' instruction, throw out your nets one more time on the other side. And in both John 21 and Luke 5, the catch was an enormous miraculous catch of fish. But the difference is that in Luke chapter 5, Peter doesn't run towards Jesus after the miracle. This is what Peter does. Luke chapter 5 verse 8. Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He's petrified of Jesus. See, Jesus, when you encounter the real Jesus in his power and glory, you're not going to go, oh, oh well. Right? You're going to either be petrified, as Peter was, or angry, or you're going to run towards him. That's the kind of reaction that Jesus, when you really encounter him, brings. You can't be indifferent to Jesus when you really see him for who he is. Look at the difference in Luke 25. After the miraculous catch of fish, Peter jumps into the water and he struggles and runs to get to Jesus. That's a big change, isn't it? Get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, to, it's Jesus, and he's cooking a barbecue. Let's get there. And John does the sensible thing. He sits in the boat while Peter struggles to the shore. Imagine John with his feet up, chilling, thinking, oh, yeah, that impetuous Peter again. I reckon John probably arrived at the shore faster than Peter. <laughs> Claims of Jesus never evoke an indifferent, moderate, reserved, polite response. If that's the response, then the person hasn't understood who Jesus is. Haven't. Haven't got it. Pray for them. 
but they would. You see, Jesus claimed to be the son of God, the Lord of the universe, the maker and creator of all the stars and the planets and of human beings. That's a big claim. He claimed to be the way, the truth and the life. He claimed to be the only way to the father. You can't be indifferent. You're either going to be angry or you're going to embrace him, but you're not going to be indifferent. What a change in Peter, though. Get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. From fear, can't wait to get to Jesus here. He's met the risen Christ. Jesus has breathed the Holy Spirit on Peter. He's become a Christian, right? On Easter Sunday, what a day to become a Christian. Um... Peter became a Christian. He received the Holy Spirit. He believed because he saw the risen Christ and he's been transformed. But he's not the finished article, is he? Where are you today? Are you running away from Jesus? Are there things in your life that you're not prepared to do business with Jesus over? Or are you running towards him? Are you saying, Lord, I surrender again? We sung that this morning, didn't we? I surrender do we though? Second, number two, Jesus wants to deal with unfinished business in us. After a meal of bread and barbecued fish on the beach, Jesus pulls Peter for a chat, doesn't he? Come on, Peter, let's go for a walk along the beach. He pulls him for a chat. And this is all about Peter's earlier denials. After Jesus was arrested, Peter was publicly asked three times if he was one of Jesus' disciples. Do you know him? No, never knew him, said Peter, as he warmed his hands on the fire. One lapse you could possibly account for, couldn't you? Two, mm, getting a bit serious, isn't it? But three, denials. You start wondering, is there a way back here, don't you? Serious. And when you look at the commentaries, it gets worse. Because the third denial wasn't Peter calling down curses on himself. He was calling down curses on Jesus. That's what the commentators say. In other words, he wanted to prove that he wasn't a follower of Jesus, so he wouldn't get arrested. Because no true follower of Jesus would call down curses on him. So he was saving his own skin. He was saving his own neck. You can't get more serious than that, can you? Three times. It's significant that Jesus says to Peter, do you love me three times? He's reminding him of those three denials, isn't he? John 21, 15. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? The problem is not the denials themselves, but Peter's heart that led to this failure. You see, Peter thought he was better than the other disciples, didn't he? He said, even if all these other ones fall away, I'll never abandon you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times this very night. And he failed. Peter thought he was more loyal, more committed, more courageous for Jesus than all the others. So Jesus says, 
Simon, do you truly love me more than this? Are you sure you love me more than these others? His heart is wrong, isn't it? It's not the denials. He's got superiority complex, hasn't he? He's got pride. He thinks it's his own goodness and piety that's saving him. He thinks he's better, more faithful than the other disciples. And his faith proved fragile when he failed. And those, when Peter sobbed, he wasn't sobbing with repentance at that moment. He was sobbing with self-pity. He was embarrassed, ashamed that he'd let himself down, Jesus down and the other disciples. He got caught out as a failure. It was self-pity, not repentance. And when Jesus was arrested, Peter was the disciple who did violence by cutting off a soldier's ear. Peter believed that he knew better than Jesus at this stage. He thought he could take uh, things into his own hands and help Jesus out by cutting off the soldier's ear. But Jesus was doing the very opposite to Peter. Jesus was handing himself over for arrest because that was the Father's will, that he should go to the cross. Peter thought, I'm going to save Jesus by cutting off the soldier's ear. Jesus said, no, this is not the way, and healed the soldier's ear. You see, Peter, again, thought he was doing the good work that would lead to his own salvation. And we cannot base our identity as Christians on our performance, achievements, and service to God. That's the mistake that Peter made. If we do, we'll end up thinking that we're better than other Christians, right? Or if we're criticized, we'll get all fragile about our faith, won't we? If it's all about our performance and achievements for God, when somebody pulls us up on something or we fail at something, we will get angry, defensive, and we'll fall apart. Or we'll get hostile to somebody when they disagree with us. We need to base our identity as dearly loved children of God. Peter had to learn that it's about Jesus' love for him before it's about Jesus' love and service. Sorry, Peter's love and service for Jesus. There's a difference. Subtle, but it's crucial. You see, when we base our identity on our love for Jesus first we end up failing like Peter. When we base our identity and security on Jesus' love for us, we can love God and love others from there, from a place of security, from a place of secure identity. This is the lesson that Peter had to learn, right? Only by grace can we be saved. Peter thought he could be saved by doing good works to make him better than the other disciples. But he needed to learn the place of grace and forgiveness. And that's true for all of us. Third and lastly, Jesus wants to bring us to a place of repentance and humility. You see, Peter had built his self-worth and identity on being more faithful to Jesus than the other disciples. When Jesus says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter is beginning to reject his old identity. 
Then Jesus asks about his love three times, one for each of Peter's denials. This is significant, isn't it? Jesus is not going to let him forget because Jesus wants Peter healed. It's good news, isn't it? Jesus doesn't forget our past wounds, our barriers, our baggage, because he wants to deal with it and heal us. He wants us to go on to increase fruitfulness and usefulness in ministry. It's good news, isn't it? Some of you don't look sure. Some of you think, I'm not sure some of you think, I'm okay as I am, thank you. I've got my pipe and slippers, I'm happy, I'm comfortable. Don't disturb, do not disturb. Notice how Peter responds. He does not make excuses. He doesn't get defensive and blame shift, does he? He doesn't say, well, yes, Jesus, I failed you. Look, but you have to understand I was under extreme pressure at this point. There were Jewish and religious authorities looking to arrest us. So, you know, you have to understand that it was tough. He doesn't do that, does he? Nor does he say, look, Jesus, I may have failed you, but, you know, I was the courageous one. I was the one who really had faith. I identified you as the son of God before all the others. Doesn't, does he? He doesn't make excuses. He just says, Lord, I love you. I love you. He, he knows that Jesus knows about his failures and he doesn't make excuses. He just says, Lord, I love you. In other words, I'm learning, to, to, I'm learning what it means to humbly receive your grace again. Peter is showing true repentance rather than self-pity. Sometimes we demonstrate self-pity when we fail, don't we? We, we, we? we have a pity party, don't we? Woe is me, I am but a worm. Leave me alone. I failed. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. That's not, that's not repentance, is it? Repentance is towards God, not ourselves. Repentance is not about our own reputation or sense of shame for letting ourselves down. Repentance is towards God. Repentance is grief that we have failed God primarily, not ourselves. Self-pity is about shame. Repentance is about true guilt before God that leads to true repentance and humility before God. Peter is repenting here and not self-pitying. And Jesus' response is amazing, isn't it? Even shocking. Every time Peter responds to Jesus in loving, humble repentance, Jesus says, take care or feed my sheep. In other words, look after the church, teach my people, care for the flock. He's being called to leadership, isn't he? He's been called to preach, to lead, to shepherd the flock. Hang on, isn't this the Peter who failed? Yes, but he's learned humility and what it means to receive grace and forgiveness. That's the best place to serve from, isn't it? The worst place to serve from is thinking that you can earn the badge. Thinking you've earned salvation. 
thinking all of your years of service on rotors prove that you're a better Christian than others or that you deserve God's mercy. Peter was transformed because he understood that his identity and service were not based on his achievements, but on the free gift of Jesus. If you want to serve with joy, if you want to serve out of love, love Jesus first and ask that God would pour his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. That's the fuel that will keep you going in joy-filled service. Our love for God will, will run out. Our love for God will run out. We can't keep up the act, can we, for too long? We get condemnatory of others. We judge others. We get self-righteous. We elevate ourselves above others. We put others down. We criticize others. We just run out of steam and energy. We need to constantly come back to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I need you. Like Peter, I can't do this without you. Pour your love out into my heart. Give me more grace to serve. That's the place to serve from. What I love about this passage is Peter called down curses on Jesus to save himself. But actually, Jesus became a curse for you and me, didn't he? He became the curse. Look at this, Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The curse that you and I and Peter deserved for our sin, which is death, Jesus took on himself on the cross. Jesus gave up his life in order to save us. Jesus took the punishment, the judgment that we deserved so that we could receive the forgiveness and grace that we don't deserve. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is saying something like this to Peter and to you and I. Look, Peter, your identity was based so much on your bravery and wisdom and goodness that my love for you seemed nothing more than wages that you'd earned. But now you've seen your sin and failure and you've turned to me, your failure has been washed away and forgiven and I will now make you a leader. Isn't that amazing? We serve out of grace and humility and out of a true sense of what Christ has done for us in his cross. That's the only place to serve out of, the only place. We can't point to our achievements, to our years of service. They count for toffee, for nothing, don't they? It's the grace of God. Our service for Jesus is merely a response to the love of God in the cross, isn't it? just a response and the right response what other response is there love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all Isaac Watts isn't that right you see the sinful default of the human heart is to believe that our strength and achievements connect us to God we can climb the ladder through our strength and achievements no it's the weakness of people Peter that connects him to God. Do you see? When Peter becomes truly in need of grace and forgiveness, Jesus can then really use him and fill him and rebuild him, can't he? And after this, 
Peter went on to preach on the day of Pentecost. Filled with the Spirit, 3,000 came to faith. The Peter that had failed three times went on to incredible ministry because he was humbled and received the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. And he went on living in that forgiveness and mercy and power in weakness. I want to say this morning that God's power is made perfect in your weakness, not in your strength. Right? Do you think it's about achievement? Think again. God's power is made perfect in our weakness, in our humility, in our repentance. God can really work. He's rebuilding us. He wants us to be a palace to come and live in. And he wants, he's got so much more for, for you and I than we can ever understand or imagine. He wants to remold, remodel us and rebuild us to be more like Jesus. The question for you and I this morning is will we come to him humbly with empty hands? And will we receive again the grace of God? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're in the business of rebuilding us. Lord, we come humbly again with true repentance. We lay our lives down, Lord, and we say, Jesus, we have failed you like Peter. We've let you down in so many ways. But Lord, thank you that it's about grace and not about achievements. Lord, it's about receiving your forgiveness and mercy. And Lord, we ask again that you would pour out your love into our hearts again today. Fill us, Lord, with love. Fill us, Father, with love that we might serve from a place of joy and love and not a place of self-righteousness or pride. Forgive us, Lord, when we serve you out of pride, thinking ourselves better than others. Help us, Jesus, to serve from the foot of the cross, knowing that we need your forgiveness and that having received that forgiveness, we can go and love one another as Christ has loved us. Amen. Amen. Thank you.